body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Let's pray this morning for God's help. Father, we pray that your spirit would be with us, that he would open our minds and our hearts, and that he would make me speak true. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning uh, I chose to end our talk in chapter 2 by talking about God the Father and by God's providence. Uh, Apparently that came up on Sunday night a little bit in the women's study, the fatherhood of God. And so I'm just going to first just walk you, walk you through the, the two basic differences in the world, how Scripture divides us up and how Ephesians actually divides us up. And that is, we are either sons of God or sons of disobedience, sons of the evil one. And in Ephesians, sons of disobedience is the most common phrase. It's used twice for those who are outside of Christ. But the fatherhood of God is just a prominent theme throughout Scripture. And here in Ephesians, I'm just going to read to us the prominence of this theme by just reading verses from Ephesians that I've collected together here. And I think you'll begin to hear how how prominent this theme is. Ephesians 1-2 Grace to you and peace from God our Father. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance only comes to those who are children. Uh, usually. They are done in, at the will because they are children. Verse 14, who is the guarantee? The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance to the saints. Oops, flipped the wrong way here. Ephesians 2, verse 2. This is the opposite, right? In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3 of chapter 2. Among whom we also once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is our union with Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father. 
Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth. We were not part of God. Verse 18, which is our verse this morning, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Chapter 3, verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the house rule of God's grace that was given to me for you. You cannot be in the house rule of God unless you are His children. Verse 5. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations that has now been revealed to His holy apostles and the prophets. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. God, our Father. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Access to the throne of God the Father. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Verse 15, from whom every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. Ephesians 4, verse 6, one God and Father of all. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are made like God because we are sons of God. Verse 5, 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 8, for at one time you were, dar- you were darkness, but now you are the light in the world. Walk as children of the light. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. The beginning of chapter 6, this command, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 21, so that you may also know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. And finally, verse 23, Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith, from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just everywhere. I don't know how many verses that is. It's only six chapters in this book. Fatherhood of God is everywhere. Everywhere. It is the prominent theme from beginning to end of Scripture. There are many prominent themes. But the fatherhood of God. In fact, even as early as the Exodus, God calls Israel His firstborn son. This is what Christ was doing. Uh, we, we often tend to shorthand the Christian faith into what Christ has done, which is good, right? Christ came, he died, he rose again, he secured for us an eternal redemption in that. But he was doing something by what he did, and that something he is doing is bringing us to the Father. That was what he was doing. He was making us fellow heirs with him. He was making us into children of God instead of sons of disobedience. Even the first man, Adam, according to Luke, is the Son of God. This is just all over the place. And in many other places, 
the opposite is true. When we talk about those who are of the world, we talk about the sons of the world. So, for instance, in John 8, Jesus says, you're telling lies because you are like your father, the devil, who is full of lies. He refers to the devil as our father. 1 John 3, don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one. That's language of fathering of Cain. He was of him. He, he was part of that family, Cain was. Or Matthew thirteen thirty eight, you're either sons of the kingdom or sons of the evil one. This is in his parables that Jesus taught. Or Matthew 23, you are turning these folks into twice as much a child of hell as you are when he rebukes the Pharisees. Fatherhood is the point to which we are all driving. Um, I mentioned earlier this idea of what the father is doing that we forget and don't think about. Um, Just think of your own dad for a minute. And now that you're older and have lived a few years and have lived with children of your own perhaps or nieces and nephews and you have seen all the many, many things that went unseen to your 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 6-year-old, 15-year-old mind that you just did not know were happening. That you couldn't possibly know were happening because that was kind of the point. Your dad didn't put those burdens on you. He carried them. He ensured that the house was kept warm. He made sure the table was set with food to eat. He did it in a thousand ways. And as you get older, you start to realize maybe how much your parents actually did for you. What, what was actually wrapped up in all those millions of things that you just had no clue about. How much sacrifice it took. How much money it takes. And how much sacrifice of things that he might desire so that you might not have unmet needs. Now think of God, our eternal Father, who has done far more than any earthly father ever could or could ever imagine and has done so perfectly and has done so perfectly for all eternity and has done so perfectly for all eternity for each of His children individually. This is an unbelievable thing. And the Spirit gives us access to the Father, right? So it's through Christ and His work on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, that the price has been met, the the atonement has been made, but the Spirit is the one who applies the atonement, who makes it work in us, who unites us into Christ so that we might become children of God and have access to Him. Now, what is access to the Father? What does that mean? What do, we, what do we gain by having God as our Father? Well, a whole lot. Um, think of when you would go over to other people's homes when you were young. You felt welcome, I'm sure, at your friends' homes. But there were things that you would never dare to ask at other people's homes that you would absolutely ask your own dad, even if it was impudent and not good you would ask your dad because you knew that 
I mean, even if you got in trouble for it, he was still your dad. But you wouldn't go and bother your neighbor's dad about. So, and some of this stuff has to be taught. But, like, you wouldn't go over to your friend's house and supper gets done and you wouldn't go, may I have dessert, please? You might ask that of your dad, even if you thought it might get you in trouble, but you probably wouldn't ask that of your friend's dad because you knew it was inappropriate. He's not your dad. He owes you nothing. Our Father gives us this unbelievable access, and he talks about it in different ways. And one of the ways he talks about it is, do you remember the the man who just comes and is knocking, 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 won't leave his friend alone for bread in the middle of the night that Jesus talks about. He gives us access to the Father, who is the giver of all good gifts. This is what we have access to. This is in James chapter 1. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of firstfruits of His creatures. And then in verse 5 of James chapter 1, it says this, If any of you act, lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. He gives it to us because he's our Father. He wants to bless us with this kind of thing. He desires to give good gifts to his children. He wants us to come to him with our problems. He wants us, as Peter says, to throw our burdens on him, cast our burdens on him because he cares for us. Do we know this as Christians? Do we act like this? Do we, do we act as though we actually do have the most powerful Father? The most good Father? The most gracious Father? The most giving Father? It is a very difficult thing to realize, right? It's a very difficult thing to walk and pretend like we know. This is true in our earthly relationships too. We could know our Father or to be a very, very generous, good man, but unwilling to ask Him for anything. God does not want us to be like this with Him. He does not want us to sit and grumble and not ask. You know, one of the main problems with the children of Israel in the Exodus was not that they desired to have water and food. Without it, they would die. So it wasn't wrong for them to want to be able to have something to eat and drink. Especially if they were parents and had little children who were crying in the desert and they wanted something to eat and drink. It's not wrong to want something to eat and drink. What they did was instead of go to their father and ask, they grumbled and didn't. This is the difference between a good child and a disobedient child. This is the difference that we have to come to grips with. Our God is a good God. 
who gives generously to all without reproach. Every good gift comes down from him. Don't grumble. Ask him. Ask him. He's good. He will not give you, right? So Jesus uses this comparison. How many of you who are evil and your son asks you for a loaf of bread, give him a serpent? Well, none of you do. Or give him a stone. None of you do that. How much more our Father in heaven will give to you? This is our Father, and we have access to Him directly. Think of it like this as well. So, we live in a different sort of world where there really are not this sort of powerful folk, like old school king and queen. But we still live in a day that there are powerful men and women in the world, right? Rich men and women in the world who can basically do whatever they want, whenever they want. Now imagine you are the son of one of these people. Let's say you're Bill Gates' son. And you want something that's not selfish and used for your own self, but something good, right? You think, will, will he give it? And you just don't ask, and so then you don't get it, and then you get mad because you think your dad's selfish and never gave you anything. But if you would just go ask, he's got all the money in the world, he'll give you something. Let me give you a couple of examples that I found difficult in my life to do, even though I knew that what the answer would be from people who I considered generous and good, who were my parents and grandparents, right? So my grandpa, towards the end of his life, gave away a whole bunch of money. And I watched him do it. And then he died. And so then my grandma was left with whatever was left. And I don't know how much was left when my grandpa died. But I do know that they had several vehicles. So my grandpa had, I don't know what year it was, maybe like a 98 GMC van, conversion van, you know, like nice bucket seats, like an old school VCR and TV. It was awesome. Uh, he took us on vacation once to Hannibal, Missouri, me and my older cousins. We got to like hang out in Mark Twain's cave. I scraped some clay off the wall even though I wasn't supposed to. All that kind of stuff in that van. I have memories of this van. And right around the time he was dying, there was this family I knew who were moving to Pennsylvania. They had several kids, five kids. Their vehicle was... If you don't know, Pennsylvania has... Emissions laws, right? A lot, of the, a lot of the coastal cities, coastal states have emissions laws. Rick, you know about this. <laughs> so you don't get pulled over if you go back. See, it, you know, they, they grade it down, you know, based on the year and make and model. You get so much emissions allowed, blah, blah, blah. Well, their car failed miserably. Did not pass whatever the standards are in Pennsylvania. So now they have five kids. They are 10 hours away. In a different state, no car. My grandpa just died. In one way, it was the easiest conversation in the world to have with my grandma. And in another way, it was very difficult to have a conversation like this with my grandma. Right? You can see how it's both. Not easy, but also, I know what her answer is going to be. I know how 
generous my grandma is and how generous my grandpa was. And even if my grandpa was living, it's a 50-50 shot, he might give him the van anyway. So I went to my grandma and I said, Grandma, would you be willing to you know, give this family that she has never met who live in a different state this van? She's like, oh yeah. <laughs> She's like, okay. So I said, well, how much do you want for it? She gets nothing. So this guy drives eight hours back, comes to my grandma's house, cries, and my grandma gives him a van, and he drives back home and now has a van for his family. This is the kind of father we have. It sometimes is hard to go ask him for things, and yet we know he's good, Right? He's not an unkind God. If the Israelites would have simply asked God, God, we are thirsty. Give us something to drink. But instead they did this. Did you bring us out here to die? We had food and water back there. We don't have anything now. You just keep us out here three more days. Everyone's going to die. Little Billy's going to die. Little Jill is going to die. I'm going to die. My grandparents are going to die. What is wrong with you? That's how they approached God. That was their mentality. Now think of your own dad. If I would have went to my grandmother and I would have said to her, Grandma, you don't need three cars. Grandpa's dead. Give me the keys. I'll take care of this. How do you think that would have went? Not real well. Grandma, very sweet lady. Also, no pushover. Was married to my grandpa, after all, for many, many years. God is the same. We don't go to him like an impudent little runt. We go to him in humility with real requests, gladly knowing that He is a good God and He will give us what we ask for. This is very related to how we pray. right? Jesus talks about this sort of thing all the time. Ask whatever you want in My name and the Father will give it to you. What does He mean by whatever you want? Well, He's not saying, go ask the Father for a red Ferrari and He will have it in your drive tonight by five. It's not what we're talking about. Asking with a desire for God to be made known, for His generosity to be shown, He'll give it to you. He desires and delights in treating His children well. So that is what it means to have access to the Father. Second and final thing I'm going to talk about, because I think... Fatherhood really is these two things. There's lots of subsets of these two things. But it's really these two things. It's giving, kind, grace, providing, and it's discipline. You have to have both as a father. And our father is the best father. He is the father from which all fatherhood gets its name. And we have access to him. doesn't mean we have free range with him and that He will never require us to go through things. So in Romans chapter 8, So then, brothers, again, 
we could preach a whole sermon on the fact that we are the family of God, the brothers, the brethren of Scripture. It speaks to the importance of God as Father. But that's a different sermon I'm going to preach this morning. But just think about this. Every single time you read the word brethren or brothers in Scripture, that's a reference to God the Father. We don't become brothers magically. We become brothers actually through the Spirit in Christ to God. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This, we spoke about this a little bit this morning in Sunday school. You know, I'm thinking about Sunday school, you know, Vincent's Bible study and sermon all at the same time, so there's a lot of cross-pollination that usually happens. Jesus himself spent his entire life suffering. Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, the perfect Son, the righteous Son. Suffered. So when we talk about God the giver of all good gifts, it does not mean God the keeper of suffering. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean God the no discipline God. God uses suffering and discipline to mature his children. And he does it to all of his children. And if we have not endured as children who suffer under the discipline and under the, the world's persecution, then we ought to ask ourselves whether or not we are legitimate children of God. Good fatherhood is difficult, right? We all approach it in the hopes of doing it well, but we don't succeed altogether in the same amount. It's hard. It's hard to do these things. It's hard to figure out when do you let your children suffer consequences because of their sins or because of their actions, and when do you not let them suffer those things? When do you step in and prevent it? When do you allow it to happen, even though you know it's coming? How far do you let them go before you draw them back? What is the right amount? These are arguments that we will have until all of us are taken home. But God does not have the limited capacity of mind and wisdom that we do. He doesn't think to himself, well, how far should I let Joe go today in this thing before I... What kind of discipline would, you know, maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that. What do you think about this? Maybe we got to do this. These are the discussions Sarah and I have after the kids go to bed. Often, well, here's this situation. What should we do about this? I don't know. That's usually where we come. I don't know what we're supposed to do. God is not like that. He, 
is absolutely perfect in His planning and execution of our discipline and suffering. We will never suffer one millisecond more than is absolutely perfectly good for us as children of God. And He will never discipline us in any way that is not actually good. This is from Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son. Whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who had disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the spirit of the Father of spirits, and live. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one who is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he had no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." Discipline of the Lord is good. The discipline of the Lord is good. Because it is from our perfect Father who does everything for us so that we might become the children of God that He intended us to be. We ought to rejoice when we endure. We ought to stand firm when we suffer. Because these are the things that mark us out as children of God. It's very difficult, very difficult to tell the difference between a son of God who suffers and has discipline and gets good gifts from God and a son of disobedience who, God, who is a holy God and a just God, makes it rain on the just and the unjust and who punishes the wicked for their evil doings. Outwardly, we may have very similar lives. We may look like an unbeliever, but inwardly is where the difference lies. The son of disobedience has no access to the Father. None. Doesn't desire it, doesn't want it, does not go to him. We have access to the Father, both to plead for specific things 
And when we are under discipline, suffering in this world, to go to him as well. Say, God, I don't know how to clean this mess up. I don't know how to fix this. I'm a mess. My knees are weak. I can barely stand. I need you. And God, who is our good God, will help us to stand, strengthen our weak knees by the Spirit, keep us in the faith. The fatherhood of God is not a secondary doctrine um, in the Christian faith. It is the primary thing that Jesus was doing when he died and rose again. He was making us into children of God, making it possible to have access to the Father of all good things. This is what he did. This is why he did it. And it's all through Scripture, over and over again, the importance of having God as our Father and not the evil one. We have access to the Father by the Spirit. You have access to the Father by the Spirit if you are in Him. Use it. Don't grumble against our God. Don't get mad about your suffering. Go to God, who is a good God, who is our Father who gives all good things, he will hear you, he will listen, and he will do what is absolutely perfectly right for you because he does not change. Let's pray this morning and then we will sing together our final hymn.